When did you last hear that passage read in, in this church? Not long ago. I'm looking at Alex and uh, um, Fumi over there. Their son, Shola, preached on this passage about six months ago. Now, I don't know whether you remember any of the sermon. Obviously not many do. Shall we give Andy a test? He just said yes. What did he say, Andy? You're going to have to die. He did actually say that. His first point was... Something has to die. It was quite a dramatic sermon, partly because I'd actually, for me, partly because I'd already been thinking about that, and it was in the context of the year that King Uzziah died and the context of the year that Queen Elizabeth died. But normally, in order for us to encounter God in his majesty and to be changed by it, something in us has to die. I'll come back to that later, but that's a fairly dramatic start, but it does reflect where we were. Second thing is, why the same passage twice in six months? Well, either Andy had forgotten, or he felt, or the Lord felt, actually there's something really significant in this passage for us. So let's take all of those things together and say, Lord, please, will you, the Lord of heaven and earth, make yourself known afresh to each one of us today, whether present in the church or online. And this is for you and for your glory, we pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you'd like to follow along, I will have the verses up one by one, but if you want to follow the context and the order in the passage, it's on page 691 in the Bible in front of you. So if you're asked to speak about worship... What do you do? Well, you might first of all look to a dictionary, which is what I did. What does it actually mean to worship? And by definition, what have I done with the clicker? Is it down there on the, on the, on the chair, Andy? Oh, it's in my pocket. That's a good thing. <laughs> if we could have that first one up, please. Thank you very much. By definition, in a, di- in a dictionary, to worship is to show a lot of love and adoration for something. So, um, interestingly, a moment ago we sang, How Great Thou Art. I couldn't help but, even though I was sitting, raise my hands. And then I thought of the hundreds of thousands of people yesterday who were showing their love and adoration for their football teams, and they were doing it with movement as well. It is a most natural thing in the world today when something really excites you and you want to say, You're great! to raise your hands like that, except if you're English. Um, Religious believers worship gods. People can worship other people and things too, and we see that. Go to a rock concert, go to a football match, and you see someone or something else being worshipped, and Christians are called to worship the living God. Christian worship, defined in the New Testament in one place, is um, like this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's why something has to die. We have to die. We have to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And it all comes in view of God's mercy because of how wonderfully gracious, loving, forgiving, embracing in love he's been to us. We offer ourselves back to him. And this, it says, the offering of ourselves back to him is our true and proper worship. So, um, 
what's it, what do you think of when somebody says, let's worship? <clears throat> if I had more time, I'd get some answers. But let's just say it immediately makes you happy. That's not a bad thing. Psalm uh, 92 says, it's good to praise the Lord and make music to your name. So obviously some declaration and some music involved is in, in, implied and intended in worship. O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. That sounds like 24-7. I wonder what it'd be like in each of our homes this week. And remember that what we do on a Sunday is meant to set a model, an example for what we do during our lives in our homes and in our workplaces during the week. What it would be like if we had hymns and spiritual songs playing on our music machines 24-7. It's good to praise the Lord. Um, On the other hand, you may feel that you're not that sort of a person. Expressing your joy in God is not something you do naturally. No PDAs for the English. Public displays of affection in church as well as in personal relationships. And it says in the psalm, be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. So we don't have to make a lot of noise all the time, despite the fact that others, like Mr. Bouncy, not only will make noise, but they'll be doing all this stuff around you at the same time as you're wanting to be still. May my prayer, Mr. Bouncy says, be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. On the other hand, on one great occasion, when the dedication of the temple... And the people were worshipping God in that context. It says many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who'd seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the new temple being laid. So in the context of worship of God, tears also are entirely appropriate at times. And at the same time, at the same time, while others, many others, shouted for joy. Now the difficulty is, when God draws his people together on a Sunday morning like today, all of those things can be happening at the same time. It says about that same celebration service at the dedication of the temple that no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. Now, what's interesting is that this day, today, some of you will be in the quiet, I need to be still before the Lord mode. Some of you will be in the, I want to be noisy and bouncy. Some of you will be in the weeping before the Lord season of your life. Others of you may well be in the, I want to shout about it. What do we do when we all come together to allow each other space for those expressions? And in part, that's one of the reasons why there are now two services here on a Sunday morning at CCB, so that those that prefer a slightly more reflective style can have it, and those that prefer a more bouncy style, shall we say, can have it. What we're going to do now is going to look at this passage in Isaiah, (coughs) and remember this, that there's a little journey that Isaiah goes on in this encounter with God, which reflects how we can go on a journey within the context of our worship of God. And if we describe what we're doing now as an act of worship, the whole service, 
For some, that journey is greatly helped by something like liturgy, something like silence, something like a moment of confession, something like a declaration of faith, something like the readings from Scripture, something like, although it doesn't always help everybody, a sermon, something like Holy Communion. And that's why there's quite a variety of things that are mixed together in most acts of worship, so that people can access presence of God in different ways on that journey and yet all at the end of the service can say they've met with God because that is what worship is meant to do for us together we're meant to as we leave say I was moved today not moved away from God but moved towards closer to God It doesn't matter whether it was in the reading or the sermon or the singing or the silence or the communion, but the impact upon us all, God intends, is that we're drawn closer. So, go back to Isaiah 6. (coughs) The first thing that I want to comment on is that, (coughs) and these are things that help me as I anticipate coming to or when I'm here together with others in in the worship service. First thing is, uh, for Isaiah and us, we're joining in the worship of heaven. The Lord is enthroned all the time. For Isaiah, this was one moment where the curtain of heaven was drawn back and he saw what was happening as the Lord is on his throne, high and exalted. His train of his robe fills his temple. And then he sees the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they were covering their feet. With two they were flying, and then he hears them singing as they call out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that was happening whether or not Isaiah saw it. That is happening right now whether or not we see it. We are joining in. We're attempting to join. Lord, I want to join in with the pure worship of heaven where you are truly exalted, magnified, glorified, seen for who you really are. That's our goal as we come together on a Sunday. And of course, that worship of heaven is both objective and subjective. What do I mean by that? There's a declaration about God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Objectivity. But it's also subjective. So if you go into the book of Revelation, it says it's it's speaking to the Lord. You, I believe you, the angels are saying, and we join in, we believe you are worthy of our praise. Interestingly, one of the uh, most frequently used words about worship in the uh, the Bible is a word proskunio, which means draw towards to kiss. Not only do we declare how great God is, but God in his mercy says, I want you to draw towards me to receive my embrace and to embrace me. Draw towards to kiss. And perhaps in some ways there are occasions where the magnificence of worship is all about objectivity and there are other occasions where actually it's all about the embrace. But the combination of both of those two things within our own spiritual journey of worship is really important. And I know for most of my life it was one objectivity and then the coming of the Holy Spirit brought the romance of worship back to me and I began to understand that there was a drawing towards to kiss. 
that was involved as well. So the second thing I want, uh, in the journey is <coughs> he was receiving revelation. It says Isaiah saw all these things happening and he heard of these, he heard the voices of heaven and then he actually began a conversation with the Lord himself. He saw and he heard. How does revelation of the real nature of God happen? Uh, if I was to go out on the streets and do a straw poll, and in some ways that's what Andy does as he's picking up litter. He's having conversations with people, trying to understand where they are in relationship to God. What do you think about God? When Pipe's going out in front of um, the, the college trying to find out whether there's anybody that's interested in coming to his um, Alpha course, he has a little questionnaire. And part of it is, who do you think God is? Well, the question is, how do we know what the real God is like? And our answer is, he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit who comes to each of us individually to take the veil off our eyes to reveal who he really is. And that's what's happening to Isaiah here. The Holy Spirit is taking the veil away, so he's now seeing clearly what God is really like, and what he sees is this, holy, holy, holy. Purity. Beyond compare. Is the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> it was so amazing the way Carol, a moment ago in her prayers, began each section Lord, you're able to do far more than we can ask or imagine or dream. I can't remember the exact phrase. But that's what this is saying. Lord God Almighty, you're able to do far more than anything we consider possible. You're able to do even the impossible. You are the Almighty One. Now, what hope does that bring to us in the difficult circumstances of our lives? It means He is able to carry us through anything. Because He's Almighty. I could get quite excited. And the whole earth is full of his glory. In other words, there's no place on planet earth that we can go ever where we'll be outside of his embrace. He can make himself known to us anywhere, anytime, all time, everywhere. And again, I want to say hallelujah. And it all comes by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, which is why it is most appropriate to begin our meeting saying, come, Holy Spirit, because we want to receive revelation. Next thing that happens is that he finds himself responding with his guts. He is not just assenting, God, you're great, but he's actually impacted by the greatness and purity of God. So he says, woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And we all know the command, don't we? <clears throat> Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And aspects of the church have been particularly good at one or another sometimes of those four things. And by and large, the evangelical church has really emphasized, well, love God with your mind. Understand the truth, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But it's not always emphasized, love God with your heart and love God with your soul. 
Jesus, in his experience of living as a human being on earth, knowing God, is overwhelmed by the love of God at one point as the Spirit falls on him after his baptism. And at another point, he's overwhelmed by the pain of the world. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wept for you, as longing for you as, to gather you uh, under, as a hen would gather his chicks under her wings. He felt it here in his guts. It says he had compassion, which literally means he felt it in his guts. Splangidzomide. That's a really expressive word, that, isn't it? And uh, so Isaiah, in meeting God, cannot remain unmoved emotionally. Which is why, when the Spirit comes and convicts of sin, which is the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus outlines in John chapter 14, when the Spirit comes and convicts of sin, we may find ourselves weeping. When we're over, suddenly overwhelmed by our difficulties, we start to weep. And in that moment of weeping, then the Lord himself comes to us to say, I can strengthen you. Or he comes to us to say, I forgive you. But until we really feel it in our guts, we're probably not in the throne room as God invites us to be in the throne room. Next thing, experiencing God's grace. So then the uh, seraphim comes, uh, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken, this is now verse 6, he'd taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. The coal from the altar comes from the very presence of God. Jesus Christ comes from the very presence of God. He is the ultimate one who comes with forgiveness from God. The coal represents the burning fire. Jesus speaks about the Spirit coming and being baptized with fire. And the fire burns up the dross. The blood of Jesus cleanses from sin. It is from the very throne room of God that Jesus Christ comes in forgiveness and being cleansed and changed comes to us. And that is what God longs for. And, you know, it's, it is, <coughs> it's an initial experience when we're converted, but it's an ever-continuing and ever-deepening experience. As in worship, we are before the Lord and we say, Lord, search me and try me and see if there's any unclean thing in me. And as the Spirit convicts, equally assuredly, Jesus Christ comes with his forgiveness to wipe us clean. Uh, So we expect, Sunday by Sunday, people to have visions of Jesus coming to them to cleanse them and to change them. Whether that happens in your seat or whether that happens as you come to the front and somebody prays for you, our expectation is that heaven will be opened and you'll experience some of these things. Not necessarily every week and not necessarily in exactly the same way as this, but the young man who came to us one Sunday in St. Barnabas had only been in church three or four Sundays, came forward at the front, and we prayed for him, and he just said, Jesus, Jesus. And afterwards we talked with him, and basically he said he had a vision of Jesus coming to him at that moment, changing his life. And something has to die. And so this is the end, this is the journey where the journey is taken us to. Is he offers to serve the Lord. He hears a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And having experienced what he's experienced on this journey so far, he says, Here am I, send me. 
Oh, I've raised my hands again. Oh, dear. <laughs> you know, I couldn't, I couldn't handle this charismatic stuff to start with. But um, somebody did say to me, why, did, why does a child raise their hands? To climb into the arms of their parent. To know their love. That's all we need, Lord. Your love. Why does somebody hijacked raise their hands? Because they're surrendering. Lord, I give in. I give myself to you. Don't be afraid of raising your hands if it comes from the heart posture of wanting to do either of those two things. It's entirely normal, entirely human, and it's actually where God wants us to be. Lift me up, Father, closer to you, and here I am. Send me. I surrender my life to your will and your ways and the coming of your kingdom. Friends, we're landing. What I want us to do is land in the presence of God. So to know that he is with us, that any visitor, and there may be a visitor today, forgive me because I'm still not familiar with everybody in the church being a relative newcomer, but as it was in the New Testament, so that it might be with us that when an individual in 1 Corinthians, it says, comes into your midst, what happens? What happens is this. Uh, I'm just going to... They will fall down and worship God, explaining God is really among you. What those leading services long for is that that will be the impact on individuals, whether they be believers or whether they be those who aren't yet believers in Jesus. That anyone every Sunday leaves knowing they've been in the presence of the living God. And to him be the glory and the praise, not only of heaven, but on earth as well, which we, why we pray, your kingdom come, and your will be done, O Lord, on earth, as in heaven, for Jesus' sake. Amen.